Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. We are coming to you from our home base in Elevation Hotel here in Mount Crested Butte. In case you hadn't guessed, you're here today with Kara Williard, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, for today's episode, I am joined today by my fellow reviewers, Luke Coppa, Dylan Wood, and Eric Friesen to dive into some reviewer reports. The good news is that a recent storm cycle dumped close to five feet here at Crested Butte Mountain Resort, and as a result, we got to broaden what type of skis we've been testing. So we talk about a bunch of powder skis as well as some all-mountain skis, and then some other random but super cool gear we have been testing, including some mind-blowing ski poles, custom goggles, and more. And as you'll hear later in the episode, terrain has been opening and we have been really testing our limits as this week we bring you several crashes and close calls. Before we get started, this week's episode of Gear 30 is brought to you by our blister-recommended shop, the Spokane Alpine House. The Spokane Alpine House is our blister-recommended shop for those in the inland northwest. For 40 years, they have been passionate about getting you and the family ready for your adventure. They carry a large selection of both ski and snowboard equipment. And whether you are a seasoned expert who loves good gear or a beginner, they have the right gear for you. Spokane Alpine House offers custom boot fitting by their MasterFit certified boot fitters, a full service ski and board shop, and a large rental program for both kids and adults. They also offer a junior buyback program, which helps keep the kids affordably on the hill each season while also making sure they have the right gear. Blister Plus members receive one free wax this season, 20% off all boot work, and 20% off any ski or snowboard service. Next time you're in the Spokane area, be sure to stop by the Spokane Alpine House and please tell them we sent you. Also, we are in the final days before Blister Summit 2024 and we can't wait to ski and hang out with all of you. And don't worry, for those that have been sleeping on signing up for what is the best week of the winter, it is not too late to sign up. All of the lifts are spinning here at Crested Butte, and the skiing and riding is really good right now. Our panel sessions are also really getting dialed in. We just confirmed that Carolyn Gleick will be at the event, and she will be joining Jason Blevins of the Colorado Sun, Nina Waters of Blizzard, as well as the Summit County Commissioner, and Dr. Len Nessifer from Natives Outdoors on the panel session, Radical Acts, How to Create Change. Please check out our website for our current list of speakers and panel session topics. We also have an awesome list of brands joining us this year, which include Forefront, Backcountry Access, Bag Balm, Carve, Dalbello, Daymaker Touring, Deuter, DPS, Dinafit, Dinastar, Folsom, Giro, Glade, Icelandic, Kesley, Majesty, Marker, Mips, Moment, Mountain Flow Eco Wax, Never Summer, ON3P, Ordevox, Phantom, Raid, Rosignol, Solomon, Scarpa, Vocal, Weston, Zag, and Zipfit. So please come join us here in Mount Crested Butte, February 4th through the 8th, for what is sure to be a very awesome and memorable week. And with that, let's get right into this episode of Reviewer Reports. Sweet. Well, I am joined on this fine evening by Dylan Wood, Eric Friesen, and Luke Coppa. And we're going to talk about a lot of what we've been skiing, which has been really fun just because conditions have been really great this last week. It certainly widened what we were able to get out and review as far as POW skis and everything else. So 
Um, yeah, I think we'll just get going and jump right in to Powski since that seems to be like the last week what we've probably spent the most time on. And uh, I guess I'll start with you, Dylan, and I think Luke will probably chime in on this one as well. Yeah, we're um, starting with a very interesting ski, um, the Armada ARG2 Ultralight. Um, this is a reverse camber, reverse side cut powder ski. You look at it, you put it on your feet. It's it's really weird looking. Um, feels really strange the first couple of turns on you know cat tracks or groomers when you're when you're starting to go. Um, but if you get this ski in its intended conditions, which is untracked powder, it just it skis differently and it performs. Um, yeah, it it just provides an experience that you can't get from skis with traditional side cut. Um, it just really allows you to make any sort of turn you want and um it's it's hard to to um give this ski these adjectives but it's really predictable and really intuitive and powder um which you know can be strange given just how difficult it is to ski on anything that's firm but um just you know drifting turns making quick turns in powder um it just it really lets you do anything and you can just really trust it into making any sort of turn shape you want. Um, you don't really have to worry about, you know, being right over its sweet spot when making a turn in powder, you know, with, with skis that have side cut and have kind of fat tips and fat tails. Sometimes I find if I'm a little too forward or a little too back seat, those tips or tails will hook up and, you know, either, you know, send me on my butt or hook up and, and make a tighter turn than I wanted. Um, and yeah, like you said, we've had a great, great past week. We had a really deep day, um, two Sundays ago, and we've been having terrain openings this past week. And I usually don't ski the ARG in the resort. We have a Duke PT binding on it, so we can actually get it in the conditions we need. Um, but yeah, this past week when we had snow that's been sitting around for, you know, months and hasn't been skied and some good snow on top of it. You know, there was some crust, there were some layers in there, just was really predictable on all of it. And, and, um, yeah, I think, I think it's an exceptional ski at what it does. You know, versatility is just a, is a myth perpetuated by big minimalism that wants you to, you know, have like two or three <laughs> pairs of skis. Like, nah, you don't need that. You need like eight to 10 pairs of skis that all do one thing really well. Um, so yeah, given that, I don't, like if I was someone who like skis winter park and on a Saturday and like, you know, it's tracked out by 11 o'clock, the ski doesn't make much sense. Um, but if you're able to regularly ski deep powder, I think the ARG ultralight should definitely be on your radar, whether that's in the resort or in the backcountry or a mix of it. Mm -hmm. I think before I chime in, do you have some thoughts, Eric? Cause I feel like you've actually spent a lot of time on it in the backcountry, and I think have some history with the the previous version. I do. Um, the ARG is some of my fondest skiing memories came aboard that ski. I, I had it in the winter of 07, 08, which was kind of legendary at Crested Butte. Uh, and uh, two years ago, I actually, when, when, Armada re-released the ARG. I went out and bought my own pair, so I don't. I don't have the ultralight. I have the the regular ARG, but also have Duke PTs mounted on it. 
And uh, I have been, I've gotten four days in on that ski in the last two weeks with all this snow. And it just, it makes me so happy. Um, it's, yeah, it's, as, we, as Dylan said, it's a fantastic powder specific tool. Makes It lets you make uh, really fun shapes. And now not needing to ski it in the backcountry with 916s and trekkers just makes it that much better and that much more enjoyable. And I, I actually, I, I was uh, talking with Dylan about how stoked it made me to see that a pair was getting skied at the resort in all this snow that we've been getting. Cause I, you know, it's few and far between days where like inbounds, it's a ski that really makes the most sense probably is, is what you would grab. Yeah, I'd agree there. I finally got my first two days on it this season. The first one was actually in the resort when they opened to Cali bowl and I knew we would be skiing fresh snow but probably only for like a lap or two we were just shooting photos and that's not the best scenario for really learning a ski but what stood out to me is like it's in it was instantly intuitive in soft snow i it's the only ski that i would uh, potentially call unsinkable uh it was like i never had a like buck get bucked forward moment even in pretty variable like different densities of pow yeah, super easy to slash around. It's one of the first skis in a very long time where we like set up a shot on a little pillow that had mostly fresh snow below it. And I seriously debated attempting a 180, which I'm horrendous at, especially in deep snow. Didn't end up doing that because people started coming down, but very special <laughs> ski. And then my second day on it was using it as a, a pow surfing approach setup. Um which was the most ridiculous combination of gear I think I've ever had. I skinned up on the ARG and then first, because like, we thought that might make the boot pack easier. Uh, it didn't at all, but then skied down with it with a power surfer and my giant stupid uh, Fubuki boots strapped to my backpack. Ugh. And a friend of mine got a picture of the setup, but it was on film. So people will have to wait to, to see that until it gets developed. But uh, it is like, it's the only ski that I would consider skiing on the same stuff I enjoy power surfing on because low angle, deep snow, tight trees generally. And yeah, I mean, I was, I was surprised by how intuitive it was in non deep conditions, uh, in the resort. It's definitely not like super fun in those conditions. Uh, especially if you're dealing with like crud or like, very firm snow. I found that the middle is actually, I think, really torsionally rigid. And so it's kind of being on like really stiff ski blades on firm snow. Uh, but they're wide and so they put a ton of torque on your knees. But in like soft chop, it was actually like pretty intuitive to the point where like if I had a pretty big quiver, I'd probably have the ARG ultralight or something like it mounted with like something like do PT so you could tour on it for like just the first one to four laps in the resort and then i just bring another way more versatile ski because it's it's like that fun in fresh snow and it's not absolutely terrifying in non-fresh snow um yeah overall uh it was a very fun experience yeah really good ski i just love how whenever you lay it over and make a turn and pow you just you know exactly what you're getting and sometimes that that's not the case with with other skis out there so Dang. Well, I know Dylan suggested I bring that ski to Japan last year and I didn't. And now uh, listening to you guys, I kind of regret it because that seems well suited for a place like Japan. 
And uh, yeah, well, I think it's cool that all three of you have been on it and have actually been able to get some time on it that's appropriate as far as like really deep pow days. What do you have, Luke, as far as the Powski you've been spending time on? Uh, I've been skiing a few of them. The the really deep day that Dylan referred to when he was on the ARG, um, that was for me the lightest deepest snow we've ever had at C- or I've ever skied at CVMR. We had previously gotten it was very cold, gotten a lot of snow, but it came in windy, so it was pretty dense. And then the wind just stopped, and it snowed like I think by the lifts by the time the lift started. 15 or 16 inches and then just continued dumping throughout the day completely blower one of my best days at cbmr ever uh but i didn't really know it was going to be that good and i was on the 184 vocal revolt 114 which as far as those rare conditions go seemed like a bit small potentially especially the first few laps but as i got used to it and as i witnessed just about everyone having harder times staying afloat especially on the flatter stuff it just continued to impress me. I think it's flotation and maneuverability in deep snow is really impressive for its size. Uh, and the fact that unlike the Revolt 121 and 104, the 114 is a much burlier, less freestyle specific ski. It's got about a minus eight mount point, pretty big, minimally tapered shovel. But it's still in the Revolt family, I think, for a reason, because it does have very deep rocker lines. It's not super far back. It's not like an old vocal confession, which was a very, very directional traditional ski. And yeah, I just was a big, big fan of it that day from everything from the very deep untracked turns, including like in fairly tight trees to later in the day when everything got chopped out. I think it is a very, very good chop ski at least for my preferences it's it's quite heavy it's pretty stiff but it has those deep rocker lines that make quick changes of direction fairly easy when especially at the end of the day when my legs were absolutely smoked because i think that was my first true like nine to four day of the season and it was spent skiing deep chop on one of the heaviest skis i've been on all year uh so yeah overall big fan of that ski i'd hope i'm hoping to get it out for another pow chop day uh, at some point this season, but so far it's been one of the standout skis for me this season and definitely one of the standouts in kind of that resort uh, powder. Nice. And Friesen, I know you've been uh, maybe spending a bit more time in the backcountry than some of us. So what do you have to talk about as far as a wider backcountry ski goes? Yeah, I, I tend to escape and run away into the backcountry when it gets crowded at the resort. Um but I, I did get a couple of days in in the storm cycle and skied some really fun chopped up snow and, and had a blast on all the new terrain that CB's been opening. Um, I have the the ski I'm going to talk about is I'm kind of not playing by the rules a little bit. I've been skiing the uh, La Sportiva Tempo a fair bit this early season in the backcountry, and it's it's 103 underfoot. Ours is uh, 190 centimeters long. But wanted to talk about it just because in this last um, round of storms, had it out on two different days where I was doing bigger days in lower angle terrain and kind of like touring and harvesting snow more than uh, than sort of skiing like steep terrain just because of the conditions. And for a, a ski that's 103 under foot with an 18 meter turning radius, 
came away really, really impressed by, you know, how it was handling and floating in the, the soft snow and the recycled pal that I was skiing it in. Um, I've never been on a La Sportiva ski before, have used some of their boots, but didn't really know what to expect. It's, uh, the tip shape is, um, it's malleable in the sense that, uh, it, it stays up on top of the snow, makes, you know, consistent and predictable turns in a, in a varying degree of like snow qualities and densities that I've found so far. And, and generally as like a fairly lightweight ski that kind of is, um, you know, intended to keep your legs as fresh as possible. It's been really enjoyable to have that. And it's kind of helped me do, uh, a couple more laps each day than I might have otherwise on like my ARG and Duke PT setup, for example. Um, so not a, not a true specific pal ski, but a ski that I've been trying to put through its paces and, um, have been very impressed and very surprised with its soft snow performance so far. Yeah, I got some time on that ski last spring over in Marble, and we looked at on a pretty deep day as well. And we're skiing, you know, kind of right about 30 degree stuff. And yeah, I think I totally agree. I think it's a great power ski for its width. It's La Sportive's widest ski, so it is kind of their power ski, even though it is 103 underfoot. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like, good amount of taper in the tips and tails, pretty soft extremities. Um, definitely make up for what it's lacking in, in surface area as far as flotation goes. And yeah, I think it's just a really agreeable ski and, and powder and, and makes, makes ski and pow fun a pretty reasonable way too. Yeah. It's been, it's been after most of a lot of the skis that I'm using out there are quite heavy, like in the space of what a backcountry ski would traditionally be. So it's been very enjoyable to have something underfoot that, uh, you know, skis well for its width and, I think, yeah, the, it's, um, snow frequency and absorption, uh, qualities thus far have been pretty impressive. Like as you're just, you're skiing down a chute that transitions from, uh, recycled pow to, uh, roller balls to like, uh, avi debris. And, and it's like, it's done it pretty seamlessly, which isn't always the case for lighter skis in, in this sort of category. So. That's my pow ski. That's not a pow ski that I've been having fun aboard. Nice. Well, I also, as far as this uh, ski, I've been having the most fun on in like really the more untracked pow um, is also, you know, could be the wider variation. And I hope to spend more time on the wider version soon, but that's the Mindbender 106CW. And by the time this podcast rolls out, we'll actually have a full review up on the site so people can go to check that out. Um, but that's the ski. Like I really liked the old version and was curious how the new version would compare. And overall, despite it being a bit heavier, which I actually think has helped a bit in its, uh, damping, it's been really nice for just really untracked pow, especially because we were starting to ski some of the like more technical terrain this last week at Crested Butte. And it's a super nimble ski. Um, I was mostly impressed with just like how easy the tails are to get around which I feel like is something I really am always challenged by uh, early season in the steeps. And so that was really nice. Um, and then interestingly enough, the wider ski that I've been spending time on, um, which is the Shiva 11, has been maybe a little less preferential for really deep untracked snow, but has now become like one of my favorite um, crud and chop skis. So I feel like I've been spending like some of the you know nicer earlier mornings on the Mindbender 106 and then actually going to the 
Shiva 11 when things start to get skied out of it. And uh, like I know when they opened Flatiron, um, it was like some pretty heavy pow initially. And then like the next day it was a lot lighter and nicer. But just getting in that heavy pow being on the Shiva 11, it was nice. Uh, it provides like pretty good suspension and feels really great. And the chopping crud is pretty maneuverable. Um, and so, yeah, it's been kind of interesting to like be a bit more preferential towards a narrower ski over the wider ski for what the conditions are doing, but kind of cool to compare those two side by side. And then we also do have the Mindbender 116, which I hope to be logging some more time on soon. Yeah. Here's to hoping that, uh, we will be reviewing more pow skis later this season. Yeah. And, um, I mean, do you guys have any other sort of wider or like at least wider all mountain skis or pow skis that you want to just mention real quick? I think I could go into one that kind of borders, uh, what we're talking about in terms of the, the, the blurry categories. And I won't say too much because there will be, we'll be able to say more about these skis in the future, but, uh, started skiing the new 2425 Icelandic Nomad series about, uh, well, two weeks ago when this is published and I've enjoyed the Nomads in the past. Uh, they've stayed minimally changed over the years. And I think it, they've been a design that a lot of people can get along with. They're fairly stable, largely because they don't feature a lot of tip or tail taper. They haven't been super light, but they're also quite rockered, not that stiff. It's a combination that I think a lot of people can like. Uh, if anything, I feel like certain people, including myself, one of the complaints was like they might not be that exciting if you, especially if you prioritize a particularly lively energetic ski that produces a lot of rebound and so long story short they are tweaking all of the nomads and maidens for 24 25 one of the main things they wanted to address is what i just mentioned about pop uh and they also made them a fair bit lighter we'll have first looks up on our site with our specs when we can but it was a case where i looked at the weights before i skied them and then was kind of surprised by how different the actual weights were based on the minimal difference in stability and suspension in terms of what I was feeling on snow. So I think they get, did a very good job of reducing the swing weight a bit because those big, fat, not tapered tips tended to make them feel a bit sluggish without seriously compromising their stability, especially in like soft chop. I think those big, fat tips still do a good job of blowing through it. And yeah, I've been skiing the 106 and the 112 so far. The 106 is actually a 106. It's not a 111 like the old 105. Uh, and as a result, feels kind of like a more practical all-mountain ski to me. It was just main takeaway. It's very easy to, for me to get along with, just like the old Nomads. Similar stability, similar flotation, but it does feel notably more energetic and a bit quicker with minimal compromises as far as i can tell right now we'll have to test them more uh but yeah it's made me excited to continue skiing the 106 and the 112 the 112 is a bit burlier a bit more dialed in for skiing fast and chop the 100s a bit softer a little bit more playful and we have the maiden uh equivalents for several of those so we'll have more to say in the future but it has made me uh, very excited to continue skiing those skis throughout the season. I know Luke just touched on some of that kind of borderline category of wider all mountain skis. 
Um, and prior to this storm, we were spending a lot of time on narrower and just more all mountain oriented skis. And I think all of us have plenty to say on a few options, but, um, Dylan, I know you might be wanting to speak to one that a lot of people have been particularly interested about. So what do you have for us? Yeah. The new moment commander 102. This is a stiff game on directional ski. Um, it's, it's a little bit different from the old commanders, uh, in that it's a little bit heavier. Our pair is coming in at 2,200 grams, uh, in the 102 in the 182 length. And there, there's really not much taper in the ski at all. And in, in the, in the tips, especially as, as well as the tails. And it's first and foremost, I think best carving ski from moment that I've been on. Uh, you can really engage the entire length of the ski and it, it has a fairly reasonable radius at, at 18 meters, which seems kind of short, doesn't really feel that short, um, on snow, mostly because this is a really stiff ski. That's not super easy to bend. Um, in, in sort of thinking in the class of like, what are the, you know, benchmark directional 102 wide skis i'm thinking like vocal mantra solomon stance 102 it's it's up there i think with like the most stable and in my opinion kind of closer to the mantra than than the stance 102 and um and and similarly like if you're someone who's like oh the old mantra or the old stance were better like now that the new ones are like softer and, and easier you know i hate this i'm looking at you eric friesen um, <laughs> the, 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 the commander 102 is is definitely a ski that i think those types of people will will want to gravitate towards um as far as suspension goes honestly i don't it doesn't feel as smooth as other 2200 gram skis in my opinion mostly just because that really stiff flex pattern i think takes a lot of input and a lot of speed to to really come alive um on the flip side it's like a ski that i haven't found the speed limit yet i don't know if i will even in the in the 182 length off piste it's it's like really great really supportive love it as a as a bump ski so long as you have good technique and you're over the shovels you're you know able to release your tails in every turn and yeah like the second you try and make a, a backseat turn it, it definitely will let you know that you're making a backseat turn so i think i think the ski makes a lot of sense in moments lineup and i personally prefer it over the old commander 98 uh, which i think is is most in line with over the commander 108 but i know luke has also spent some time on it so i'd like also like to hear what what you think luke <laughs> yeah i had a, a, an eventful <laughs> first day on it my first run on it was down the mellower parts of Headwall, uh, so uh, half pipe to Powder 8. And within the first run, I was about to text Eric. Uh, I didn't have service, but I was like, I have a hunch Eric either will love this ski or won't want anything to do with it. But like, it made me think of how the original, like, I think Moment M1 or like the old guard bones were described, like mostly cambered, stiff, heavy. That's what the Commander 102 is. Uh, I do agree in that it doesn't have a plush ride quality, especially hitting more supportive things at speed. Uh, it tended to bounce off them. 
I think part of that is I, no matter what, I'm not going to be skiing as forward as like an, an X racer. And I think is if you do stay on top of it, that'll become less of an issue. And I'm, I'm curious to continue playing around with that, but in fairly consistent snow or snow that you can just drive it through and it's not going to just bounce off very stable. I love how it carves. I like that they gave it a fairly tight radius, so it is engaging. But when you're making bigger turns, it doesn't feel it didn't feel hooky at all to me. Um, I think because of that stiffness, it feels much more firm snow, crappy snow oriented than the old commanders. Um, it feels much more precise and stable than the old commanders to me. And I think as a result, it, it it's more clearly separated from the rest of their line. Uh, it's not trying to be a playful take on a metal laminate directional all mountain ski. It's uh, fairly serious and uh, pretty singular in its focus, but I think that's cool. And it also, yeah, like as long as you stay over the front of it, it wasn't, it's not super locked in in off piece conditions. Uh, you just, yeah, you just want to stay off the tails. And that became evident pretty quickly. Um, I, my day on it got cut short because I, was carving, trying to carve it very hard down uh, Ruby Chief uh, under the Paradise Lift and was making like Super G-esque turns, really enjoyed it, was trying to lay it over hard. And then uh, my during a right-hand turn, my downhill ski was just not attached to my foot anymore. Uh, and thankfully, <laughs> I ski with bad enough technique that I had enough edge pressure on my uphill ski <laughs> that I just skied right out of it and um, just got to the bottom of the hill. And thankfully, a very nice woman brought their ski down to me. But after that, I wasn't really inclined to push my limits for the rest of the day. And I switched to some other skis. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back on it, as well as hearing uh, what Eric and Jonathan uh, have to say about it as well. Nice. That story reminds me that you're going to have to do the crashes and close calls segment for this episode, Luke. We'll get into that. We'll get into that in a moment. Oh, I've got, I've logged, I've got a back, I've, <laughs> right, I've got perfect. a backlog after the last the week and a half. On that note, when I did switch away from that ski, um, ended up ABCing it against the Armada Declivity 102 Ti and uh, another ski that I don't know if we talked much about on Gear 30, the Stokely Stormrider 102. And long story short, I did not find them. I did not find that ski very similar to the Commander 102, but it has been a very interesting ski so far. Uh, and I think almost three of us have skied it. Eric, I'm curious about your thoughts on that Stormrider so far. Sure, yeah, absolutely. It's It's been fun. I mean, when I think of Stokely, I think of like the 2006 era Scotchmet pros that were just like fat race room spec skis. Um, and, and I haven't had an opportunity to be on a ton, so I was excited to ski this ski and so far i've I've had a lot of fun with it i've also skied it on really good days i've been skiing in soft chopped up snow which is it's hard not to have fun in, in those sorts of conditions but so far i think a couple of the big like highlight or standout um observations for me uh it's a ski that i i find it to have thus far like a, a fantastically like supple feel i guess is how i would describe it it's uh I, I think that comes yes, in part yeah. from like a tail that I've the the flex and the stiffness for me in my way has been um, spot on for the kinds of conditions we've been using it in. But it also it feels like 
uh, it might be a little bit uh, torsionally softer than like some of the other skis that we were just talking about, like the Commander 102 or the Stance. Um, and I think that's it's been it's just made it its edge hold and grip and bite and where it goes looking for bite has been pretty impressive, um, especially given the fact that with uh, I. Th- think it's got something like 20 millimeters of uh tip rocker it's got a fairly short tip uh or the shovel of the ski feels quite short the effective edge um i definitely feel like i'm skiing it with a a more centered and less uh forward biased stance um and so i'm using a lot of the effective edge that's uh directly in front of my binding and underfoot to to make it do what i want it to do so yeah it's a Great feel. Um, the tail has been very easy to release, powerful without being punishing. Um, it's got in what I feel like is for a, a ski like this, a fair bit of rocker in the tip. So it's ski short and it feels like it's a, a shorter effective edge. Um, but conversely, I, I really enjoy the generally I enjoy skis with a lack of tip taper. And, and that's the case here. Like I just like that straight shape, but it's got great, flow in the soft snow and chopped up snow that I've been using it in so far. Uh, it skis and feels pretty light, especially like in the air. It's been very fun with that centered stance to kind of take off and pivot and change direction with it. Um, and it's also got a super snazzy gold top sheet, which I, I love little pieces of flare like that. So I, I've been enjoying it. It's not, it's not as uh, game on, uh, directional, and chargy as I was perhaps expecting it to be. It generally skis lighter and more accessibly than I would have figured. But the the sort of easy easy shovel, easy to manage shovel has been complemented very nicely by a. Uh, I sound like I'm talking about wine, but a robust but not overpowering tail <laughs> that kind of rewards that centered stance that I've been finding myself default to um i don't know what do you what do you guys think about it so far yeah i agree mostly with that take it's it's not as chargy and demanding and game on as i expected it's actually like pretty mellow and agreeable i I think like you take a look at that tail and it has like almost no taper and you're like oh god is this gonna kill me and yeah it's really not really not the case i i know a lot of us didn't really click with the with the new fisher ranger 102 to me, the Stormrider 102 kind of feels like a better executed version of what Fisher was also trying to accomplish with that with that Ranger 102. Um, I don't think I go so far as to say I think it's the best replacement for the old Ranger 102, but it's a it's a really good I think directional ski for people that maybe are shying away from options like a Mantra 102, but also don't want something as easy as like a qst 98 yeah i think that that new ranger 102 comparison is a good one because it does it is somewhat similar in terms of having a pretty loose feeling shovel and a stronger tail that feels more precise but the overall the storm rider 102 felt more cohesive to me in terms of its flex pattern and where you're getting most of your edge hold and i think eric's note about it feeling compliant or supple is a big one for me it's it's suspension feels pretty special to me because it's not a super heavy ski it doesn't feel ultra planted but it does have a unique ride quality to it and that's really nice in 
rougher kind of shallower chop and crud i do find that like when i skied it against the commander 102 hitting denser deeper crud and chop at higher speeds the more tapered and softer shovel of the storm rider definitely required more attention to keep it from getting knocked around a bit but especially as someone who doesn't typically like very directional skis uh for my personal skiing style i've gotten along quite well with it i of course tried mounting it more closer to center and I actually ended up moving it back to its recommended mount point. I think it's pretty dialed at that mount point. It still feels pretty pretty quick and forgiving while you can still drive it hard. And it also carves pretty well. It's not the most engaging carving ski. Like when I first skied it early season on just green groomers, I was like, Ugh, this is not very exciting. I wasn't able to get it on edge easily. But as soon as I got it on like a blue groomer, it was very, very nice to carve good turn shape variety good edge hold overall uh yeah very easy to get along with nice well i think i'll just touch on the nordica santa Ana 92 just because i can provide a bit of an update from what uh occurred today out on the mountain and for those that haven't checked it out we do have a first look video that goes over the new 24 25 nordica enforcers and santa Anna's. We discuss what's changed and then luke and i also have published some flash reviews on the Enforcer 99, as well as the Santa Ana 92. And I mean, the biggest standout trait, I think, for me so far has been just how lively and energetic the Santa Ana 92 is. Um, and what that has translated to is like the harder I push that ski or the harder I ski, the more rewarding the ski is and the more fun I have. But like for today, um, as an example, I like completely destroyed my legs in a workout yesterday and was super tired and not like I was so sore that I felt like I was skiing a little bit in the back seat and not really driving the ski as much as I had been on days prior. And today I was definitely like not feeling sort of that liveliness out of the ski. And I was also getting a little bit more punished by it. Um, it's also the first day I really t- took it to some more like challenging terrain as far as like on a steeper pitch. Um, so yeah, it was a bit interesting. Like I think what I've really enjoyed in that ski is like getting really like poppy uh nimble turns out of moguls i really enjoy it on the groomers i think it's a very like engaging carving ski um it's you know really quick and lively uh but i think the biggest caveat is is like it feels best when i'm driving it and when i'm really putting a lot of energy into the ski and so i'm curious to now take it out when my legs feel better and i can take it in steep terrain and kind of see how all of those things come together But yeah, it's been interesting so far. And it's also really been hard for me to compare it to the predecessor because I had never skied like the Santa Ana 93, for example, in a comparable length. And that's just because it wasn't available in a 179. And now for the 24-25 series, it is. Um, So it's been a little bit hard to gauge there. But I will say like it feels best when you're driving it and when you're not putting any weight in the backseat. And I'm just going to kind of you to track that and see how it goes overall but i know luke probably has some thoughts on this as well because he's also spent time on the new enforcer yes i i totally agree i think the the rebound and energy of the new enforcers lines up similarly with what you described about the santa annas it's you do have to put in effort to get that energy but once you do, it is like borderline explosive in certain scenarios. 
but it like we've talked about this before like certain softer skis generally feel more lively at when you're not putting as much force into them stiffer skis certain stiffer skis can feel super lively but only past a certain threshold and I described the Enforcer 99 in that latter uh, category. But overall, I think it's also easier than the current Enforcer 100. It's a bit easier to release its tails and slash it around. It's not quite as quick to punish backseat skiing. And yet, I so far, I wouldn't say it's significantly less damp or stable. I think it's still on the more damp and stable end of the all mountain spectrum so mostly i'm just feeling optimistic i really want to test more models in the new enforcer uh lineup and so we're looking forward to doing so but my initial impressions are uh yeah pretty positive so far yeah that's probably another one that we should have eric spend some time on (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i'm curious to hear what you think about that commander 102 a few other ones we can't talk about yet that we'll be mounting up soon. Um, yeah, we've got some stuff in the pipeline. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm having a good season in, in the sense of there's a lot of skis that I'm pretty interested to spend some time on this year. The Commander 102 is what I'm planning to take out onto the hill on Friday when I get up there. So looking forward to Dibs. getting to know that ski. <laughs> well, I wanted to ski it. <laughs> <laughs> we have so We have plenty. Yeah. Well, I know we spend a lot of time on skis, but obviously that coincides with spending a lot of time on all sorts of other gear. Um, so what do you guys have as far as some, I mean, it could be anything. Luke, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, yeah, like you said, we're, people always ask, like, so what do you test? And usually if that's well, on a lift ride, it, I just wave my hands over my whole body because we're testing about head to toe all the time. Uh, for me, one of the standout products recently has been the Smith Squad XL imprint 3D goggle. And the latter part of that long product title is the important part. Last year, Smith came out with the uh, mag, IOMAG imprint 3D, which let you scan your face with your phone and then it would 3D print the frame to your face. And you'd end up with a goggle that ideally should fit your face just about perfectly. The I found it really interesting when I heard about it. Main downside, that goggle is $450, which is a lot. The good news is they recently expanded that imprint 3D collection to the Squad XL and the regular Squad, which is basically just smaller. And those still expensive, but retail for $250. So I had the chance to go through that process with the Squad XL, uh, which is a goggle I already like, but I never quite could achieve the fit I wanted, especially around my nose, which is the case with a lot of goggles. I often end up with a gap, like a small gap just above my nose, which is fine most of the time, but eventually snow or wind gets through there. So I was curious if it could solve the issue. Quick phone scan. I think it took five minutes. And they showed up and long story short, like they are the most uniform, consistent fit I've ever had in a goggle, which is awesome. (laughs) It's also exactly what I'd expect if it's being 3D printed to a scan of my face. The good news is it seems that it works. 
and there are a couple quirks to it like the frame the the 3d printed material is a lot stiffer than most frames especially the squad xl the face foam is thinner than a lot of goggle face foams it's still pretty soft and comfortable but there's not as much cushion and so i've noticed if if i don't have my goggle strap right i can get pressure points but when it's right if it feels awesome it's a very nice seal uh the strap seems oddly tight uh i don't usually wear mine over a helmet uh but when i do it's um maxed out right now but overall really impressive from a fit perspective the squad xl is already one of my go-to recommendations for people who want primarily want high-end high contrast lenses and don't care as much about switching them super fast like the standard squad xl is 150 bucks it gets you two of smith's high-end chromapop lenses which are awesome and so that's always one of my recommendations i was talking to a friend about that today actually but if you want a really precise fit especially i think if you've had if you've tried on a lot of goggles and have had trouble uh getting them to fit in a consistently precise manner it seems really appealing and i think it'll probably be my go-to goggle for the rest of the season i do uh, am a little worried about swapping lenses super often the 3d printed material seems like it might be quicker to wear down with the way the lenses swap because you're just kind of ripping them out and putting the stiff lens into little points on the frame but other than that a big fan so far yeah that's some serious goggle evolution it's pretty cool (laughs) yeah sweet what about you dylan i want to talk about poles hold on to your hats ladies and gentlemen it's about to get really exciting (laughs) um all jokes aside i am very uh apathetic about poles i think as long as they're the right length and they don't break and the baskets are you know if you're skiing powder you're in powder baskets and if you're dragging your pole on a groomer like i always do you have smaller baskets i'm usually happy with that but I was in Utah a couple weeks ago uh, for the Atomic brand launch. Um, got to ski some new skis that we have uh, some flash reviews up on. And also used, I think what is now my new favorite pole. Because it has posi drive and a flathead screw head in the pole. Like, of course. Why wouldn't you do that? Oh. It's the Atomic Backland FR SQS pole. It's an adjustable pole. It's kind of the style where the top half of the pole is the smaller in like the telescoping design, like smaller diameter. Um, And then on the end of that is the posi drive or flathead. And so, you know, and I think this is super helpful, especially if you're, you know, reviewing skis or demoing skis. Like, you know, let's say I'm out skiing with with someone who's heavier than me and we want to swap skis, but our dins are different. Just whip the posi drive out change your dens real quick um you know toe height doesn't feel quite right you feel like there's some float in there whip it out fix it while you're on the hill no problem um yeah and i've i'm typically shied away from adjustable poles because i my free ride upbringing has the the four point stomp you know where you stomp with your poles and your feet at the same time like I've I've done that quite a few times and then look down and all of a sudden my pole is like 10 centimeters shorter. Um, but I had no problems with these. And the best thing is like if it if it starts slipping on you, it can fix itself. 
you just take it out, tighten it up, put it right back together. It's a all enclosed system and they're great. Yeah. I think they're the best poles ever actually. Yeah. It's such a simple feature, but so important. And I know there's so many times where we've been out there and could have used that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially cause our <laughs> freaking posi screwdrivers keep disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have enough to bring them out on the hill. So might have to just get more of those poles. Yeah, I had an instance a couple months ago where I was at the top of the anthracites and I was like, wait a minute, I did not adjust these touring bindings at all to my boots and didn't have a screwdriver and <laughs> wasn't great. Wish I had one. Karen and I had that last spring, except it was a also, Torx, so I don't know if it would have helped. But uh, yeah, tele, tele, tele towing on tech toes is not fun. Yeah, I got to watch Luke do that, which was impressive and scary all at once <laughs> and then i also remember right before the summit last year we were skiing with drew peterson and tia Kali, and you're like my bindings my toe height is so off and i was so i was also oh really yeah yeah you made it work i yeah i've used a lot of different not screwdriver things to try and turn screws <laughs> um all right well what about you eric what do you have that's not ski oriented so i've been uh spending some time in the uh dinafit tie guard 130 boot and so far i have been super impressed and really enjoying my time with it i i tend to i have honestly i have a quiver of backcountry boots just to try to find the right tool for the right job on the right day and thus far this boot has been sort of uh, it's definitely knocked a couple of my boots out of rotation because it, it just does a lot of things pretty well and, and makes it easy. It uh, has, has been just straightforward for me. Um, the boot, I've found it to have, uh, you know, great progressive flex with a good bit of initial sensitivity. So like in the backcountry where you're trying to like feel out snow, but also eventually get to the point where you're really driving a shovel on a slope. It's It's been great. Um for a roughly 1600 gram boot, it skis really well. Like it's, you know, it's not, it's no like hyper light uh, backcountry boot, but it's, you know, it's, it's pretty reasonable and it's been impressive in that way. The, uh, the lateral stiffness, I think, especially that it affords has, has been impressive. Um, I have been doing my best to try to break and haven't thus far uh, the Hoji lock and have been really enjoying it on an overlap boot. I actually I find it to be pretty darn useful with as much time as we spend on like snowmobiles or uh, running kind of quicker laps on like shorter terrain. Uh, I've been using it a ton, really enjoying it, and and honestly like trying my best to like snap the cable and, and haven't managed to yet. So I've, I've been so impressed so far. Um, another, I was Luke. I was talking with you about this a couple of weeks ago, but. Uh, grip lock soles on snowmobile running boards or rock is never really the most fun thing in the world. Uh, these boots, they use like a Pomoka rubber version of a grip lock sole and the rubber, the durometer is, um, a fair bit softer and it's, it's just been a joy to use on, you know, on metal, on rock. Um, they've been holding up pretty well, haven't chunked off on me and, you know, it's, it's not as, uh, it's not as utilitarian as like a full full length like vibram sole or something but for what it is it's it's a marked improvement over like the harder plastic of what i think of with a grip lock sole um 
I can like, you know, not to just sing praise, but I can definitely feel the, the lower of the boot flexing a bit under load. Um, definitely, you know, some of the weight savings seem to maybe have come out of the lower part of the shell. It's, it's not a problem, but you can, I can feel myself deforming it a little bit when I'm really sort of pushing it hard. And I do wish with as laterally stiff and with, um, as generally powerful of a, a, a boot as I found it to be, I wish either the last was a bit narrower or the liner was a bit less cushy. It's definitely got like a a very warm um, but very insulated uh, Primalof liner that uh, between that and the 101 millimeter last, like it's a little bit roomy on my foot, which is you know given the performance of the boot, just a miss for me, not necessarily a miss for everyone though. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's been impressive. It's been a boot that I've grabbed on more days than I would have expected to. And I've been skiing it with a bunch of different types of skis. And it's kind of left, it's led me to leave, uh, some of my like boot pickiness by the wayside, just for the ease of like having a boot that, you know, I can walk. Oh, and, and it's, it's got like 70 degree rotation or something ridiculous. Like it's, it's very comfortable to hike around in. it's, it's just, it's been it's done a lot of things quite well for uh, being a, a 130 flex sort of free touring. I'm curious, have you tried it yet with the ZipFit GFT liners? I haven't stuck it in there. Um, I'm uh, with I I think of the ZipFit as ten as like a little bit of a lower volume liner. Um, so it's something I will try, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be the solution in this, in this case, just with the, the volume of the shell over. Yeah. It sounds like an exciting boot. And I know, I think, uh, Paul forward has, he's also been testing it in a 27 five and has had similarly positive impressions about it. And, um, yeah, we've got that in for testing and the uh the radical as well and we should be getting in the ridge boots at some point so a few interesting things from from dina fit yeah i think i think i read it's their their first overlap boot first overlap <laughs> first grip walk whole whole new world nice well i'm really excited to hear about luke's crash or whichever one he decides to talk about but i think one thing i'll just shout out real quick is <laughs> my thermic heated socks um because i actually don't think i would have survived last weekend without them my feet were so cold it was pretty low temps and just like really cold long powder days and so um this is something i've actually been long-term testing i guess over the course of the last two seasons and and it's the thermic v2 um uni 1200 you know as a boot fitter like i have installed a lot of hotronics uh hotronic heating elements to boots i feel like there's a lot of places where Hotronics can go wrong as far as like the cables shorting out and getting worn down, especially with zip fits and World Cup entry. And I've personally gone through like multiple sets of Hotronic cables before. Um, but what I really liked about the Thermic uh, heated socks is just like I can choose which days I wear them. I feel like the heat is really powerful. Um, even when I crank it up all day or crank it up to the highest setting, they tend to last all day or at least like six or seven hours. Um, so that's just one thing, like my feet were struggling as far as the cold went last week. And as soon as I would like be like, I need to wear my heated socks today, everything got a whole lot better for me. Um, so I just think it's a great solution for people who maybe struggle with cold feet or don't want to deal with the hot tronics, uh, heating element or some sort of boot heater on a really cold day. 
Um, yeah. So what do you have for us, Luke? And I know D- Dylan also has a crash story. So this is a tough one. You guys have been going hard, but <laughs> <laughs> I've been eating it left and right. Uh, I can quickly run through the ones I can you your hat or something. easily. Um, <laughs> Are you the, okay? After no, ironically, I didn't like. I'm actually okay. It's just it's been a lot of smaller falls. Uh, after the amazing deep light pow day, didn't crash at all that day. Was almost punch running many times. Uh, the next day after skiing nine to four, crashed a lot. Um, kicked a ski in Paradise Cliffs. Kicked a ski in uh, Powder Eight Gully after slashing what turned out to be a rock and not super soft snow um oh and then i got a face shot on one ski that was fun uh after the north face lift opened i was skiing over there was having a great time and then cut under the paradise lift and tried to gap a mogul gap that i had done the day before there was now a traverse track uh directly below it and i as as soon as i took off i knew i wasn't going to clear that and it was just like hoping that my legs and the bindings could absorb it one of them did the right ski didn't, so I popped out. I was like, cool, I can run it out on one ski. And then the ski that popped off uh, double-crossed me, literally, and uh, cut in front of my other ski and Tomahawk right under the lift, uh, stopped right before the groomer. And then I think the day after that, I uh, went over the bars again under the same lift, higher up, much lower speed, though. Um, and then there was the aforementioned 40-mile-an-hour uh, groomer binding pop off that was uneventful in the end so are we are we glad the bindings are popping off or are we not glad (laughs) well i i think i have i've been skiing almost only demo bindings for about six years and i have had so few bad instances with them that i think my luck is finally just catching up with me this season but i mean i logged like six in the past week so maybe it was just this week that it, I needed to settle my karma debt or whatever, and um, hopefully it's smooth sailing from here. But um, yeah, maybe I should also ski a bit more conservatively, especially when my legs are from skiing chop on big skis. Yeah, it's a tough one. I like my bindings popped off like three times last week, and each time they did, I was like, I'm really glad that just happened because it was like mm-hmm. a rock or like a tree or like some sort of hazard that could have really gone wrong. But um. Yeah, most of those, I think they were very much supposed to pop off. But yeah, a few, eh, who knows? Bunnies are weird. Yeah. All right. Dylan, do you want to talk about real quick your little moment? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. Um, This was out in Utah with Atomic. Uh, We were at the top of this pitch. We were about to ski down um, after touring up and also getting a ride on these tricked out utvs with tracks on them which is pretty awesome and we were going down a pitch that was really flat to start through some really tight aspens and then opened up and got steeper and i was probably i think like the 12th or 13th person to go and long story short the little track that everyone had weaved through these tight trees was very fast by the time i got around to it and i could not avoid hitting a very old, very mature Aspen um, with my left shoulder and I hit it very hard and like so much so that I 
landed like right uphill of it. <laughs> I just didn't, it didn't budge. Um, yeah. And, and then, uh, our good friend, Cy Whitling was right behind me and helped me out. And my new, new, uh, new, maybe favorite pro skier, uh, Chris Rubens was right behind him as well. And I was like, trying my best to act like I wasn't very hurt and that I could continue skiing, oh but, God. um, trying to, yeah, I just, it was really painful. Um, luckily I didn't break anything. Um, turns out I just separated my AC joint about as minorly as you could, uh, which is, I think a good thing. All things considered, um, was able to get it checked out in Gunnison and, um, you know, when, when I was getting it checked out, the, the lady at urgent care said something that I thought was kind of, I don't know, frustrating. She was just like, yeah, you should probably get some PT, but like, we don't recommend PT for a lot of people just because it's so expensive. And I was like, this is why I hate our medical system and everything that's going on in this country. Like, I'm just so grateful to, to have spot to like really not worry about going to PT and like injuries I've had in the past. Like, even, you know, my physical therapist being like, well, like if you can come in next week, like you should, but I know like these visits start, you know, kind of adding up. I'm just like, book me as much as you want. Like, this is all free for me. Like, let's, let's get this going. So, um, yeah, definitely another great time to have spot. Unfortunately, I, I just keep coming with these stories of, of why this makes so much sense for me to have, but yeah, it's, you know, in a, in a world where, where people aren't recommending PT because it puts a hole in your wallet. It's definitely good, very good thing to have. Yeah. Shout out Blister Plus and not hesitating to pee and properly heal your body this season so you can keep skiing. Yeah. Kayakers need those AC joints still. I know. That's that's it too. I'm like, I am about to, you know, start pushing and pulling on my handlebars a whole lot and bracing and rolling with my shoulders like in the past, I would just kind of ignore these shoulder injuries during the ski season and just kind of hope that they go away come come April and May. But now we're we're being proactive. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was a lot of stories uh, for crashes and close calls, but I'm glad we are all relatively unscathed and we made it through a really epic week and are here to tell the tale. <laughs> Here's the less crashes this next round. Please. <laughs> Well, guys, thanks so much. It was fun, uh, of course, to talk pow skis and to ski powder with all of you and everything else. And thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it, everybody. Another episode of Reviewer Reports, keeping you up to date on some of what we've been up to here at Blister. Please sign up for the Blister Summit. And while you're at it, and if you haven't already, please check out our Blister Plus membership program. As we mentioned in the episode, we really don't want PT to feel too expensive for anyone, and that is why we are so passionate about this program. For those of you coming to the summit, we will see you in just over a week. And thanks, of course, to Luke, Dylan, and Eric for joining me on this episode. Thanks also to our multi-talented podcast producer, Justin Bob, who will also be joining us at the summit. And thanks so much to all of you for tuning in this week and every week. We will talk to you again real soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. Cheers.